Kreusau, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Livingdom Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Livingdom Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Diochen Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and Adveriad. Let's recover together. Welcome everybody um, to Recovery Now Radio, Let's Recover Together, brought to you by the Living Room and Adveriad. And uh, today's guest who's kindly come in for us is Colin. Hi Colin, how are you? Yes, good morning. Good morning, Julie. Good, good to see you. Um, so Colin, you've come in to talk about your um, addiction with alcohol and, and your recovery and also your journey within recovery, which has opened lots of doors. So we're going to have a really good conversation about all that. So we'll start in the normal way, which is to play one of your first tracks. And you've chosen A Sky Full of Stars by Coldplay. So could you just tell us a little bit about why you chose that particular song? Yes. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And uh, my association with the living room over the years has been just uh, a wonderful experience. And it's been six years since we've been together down there so I've been really uh, looking forward to today and just to share again with a good past uh, and many many memories. I, I chose this track because it has kind of reminded me of my early ch childhood when we used to go and visit my grandparents uh, through in a place called Falkirk. I, I live in Glasgow and we would come home uh, at night and the moon would be out and I remember vividly saying to my mother when she was pregnant with my uh, second uh, brother, Stephen, uh, that, what is that? Well, I mean, she said, it's, it's the moon. And I said, what is a moon? And she couldn't really say too much about it, but the moon followed us all the way home. Uh, and we would fall asleep and uh, dad or, or mum would pick us up and put us to our beds. 
And, you know, it, there was many things that went on in childhood that was uh, uh, difficult uh, and challenging, but uh, looking up, looking to the North Star, looking to the stars was always something that gave me some form of perspective, I guess, uh, on my life in that moment. Beautiful. Well, that was a sky full of stars by Coplay. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the Living Rooms and Adveriad. So, Colin, you painted a lovely memory there with, with you as a child and, and, and your mum. So perhaps you'd just like to talk a little bit about growing up and your childhood. Thanks, Julie. Um, yes, on my mother's side of the family, uh, there was lots of people. Uh, so we had cousins and uncles and aunts. And my grandparents lived in this 
very large house. And since the, the war, they, they always had their own chickens and ducks and turkeys and rabbits. And we used to take the rabbits back home and kind of look after them and stuff like that. So that, that was a kind of backdrop. It was a different type of uh, kind of city living. Um, with big families come lots of uh, weddings, but also become lots of funerals. So that there was, uh, we, we would attend uh, these funerals as, as children. And afterwards, my my granny, who was, who was Irish, she would uh, kind of give the kids a, a little tipple of sherry and, or her homemade wine and things like that. And, you, you know, it, it was bizarre. Uh, it wasn't until I've, I've looked back at this, but, you know, I, I would ask her things like, where do you keep that? And how do you make that? So when she didn't really be too specific, I, I would find it. So I, I would return there. It was just phenomenal, the, the, the effects. So we're talking seven or eight years of age here. But also the backdrop to that was um, my parents uh, were involved in a very, very uh, strict uh, religious Christian group, which at the end uh, up uh, became a sect. Now, there was very, very uh, strong uh, and very rigid rules that were applied to everybody, really. So we didn't have a uh, television and, and, and comics and going to parties and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was OK at times because um, there was a big group of people there. But however, uh, when I started school, uh, it was a game changer because uh, the, the isolation uh, and the loneliness that I, I was very... I couldn't talk about Blue Peter and all these things and, and go to parties. And uh, so, so th that kind of little escape thing uh, was, uh, it was, it, it was a beautiful thing in terms of, it was like getting, taking a pill for a headache. So mm -hmm. these rules got uh, worse and worse and worse. My, my parents were suffering and, and my father really um, found it bad that they had treated him very, very badly. But at that time, as you're a kid, you just sense that uh, that there was a real sadness and a real helplessness about they were just trying to get on with their lives and raise a family. So, uh, you know, that, that, that went on from there. Uh, there. There was a number of, of incidents that I had was on the receiving end of. I, I, I call it other, other people imposing their will on me so much so that uh, I still carry some of these wounds emotionally. So when I came into my teens, uh, I was then I then found out uh, how to make wine and things like that. Now that is absurd to the greatest degree because people normally kind of play around with chemistry sets and things like that. Mm. But I was uh, playing around with the specific gravity of wine. So if I could have one glass and it gave me this <laughs> equivalent kick of three, uh, job done. So it came, you know, I was attracted to the, the spirituality, I guess, of the, of the church in terms of mm. it was very uh, uh, good at its background, but it was really, really uh, crushed. And my, my parents, and particularly my father, uh, who have, uh, I'm 56 years of age now, I'm becoming more and more like him. He doesn't like that, but, but I quite like it because I admire him. So it, it was really, um, you know, it went from my my grandparents to my my, my grandpa, and uh, they they had an enormous enormous influence on my life. Um, and it's not till decades on that you actually um, experience uh, what's what's going on there. So, um, but my good friend uh, Winford at the the living room, uh, who 
I've known for a long, long time now. He he talks quite openly about mumism and dadism, and and the the clumsiness and the dysfunction of of parenting with with people like me. So uh, mm. um, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll listen to your next track, um, Colin. Now, because um, again, talking about your father, that the track you've chosen is "My Father's Eyes" by Eric Clapton. So why that why that track? I, th I think this track, Julie, because Eric Clapton, who uh, has been open about his recovery, but he's also open about how uh, the death of his son affected him. And it reminds me of, you know, the relationship I have with my own father and how um, he is seeing me now. Mm. Okay. Versus the way he saw me before, which has changed. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
So that was Eric Clapton and My Father's Eyes, another great track there, Colin. So you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Room and at Veriad. So Colin, you talked, I, I get sort of the feeling that you were drinking a lot on your emotions, even at a, a very, very early age. Did, did that pattern stick with you throughout sort of you, your time of drinking? Yes, yes, Julia, that, that's great you picked that up. I would say that um, because of the, 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 the things that I had been exposed to, I had to drink on that to put them into some kind of perspective or to try and uh, take the pain of it away uh, uh, to deal with other people. Uh, but I, I now know uh, that when you do that, you don't process you don't process anything. And I think when you put a, a, an old head on, on a young body or, you know, um, yes, I, I wasn't really too sure about whether uh, to be happy or sad or wasn't really aware of, of these things because by it wasn't long before I uh, learned to override uh, what I was truly, truly feeling. And it was a, a sense that you were very different to other people? Very, very much so. Anybody who's part of a, a strong r- religious, uh, you, you, you uh, from from day one at my school, I was asked to be a part because of the, they used to, when I started school, they used to say the Lord's Prayer in the morning, for example. It was the only uh, uh, Jewish school uh, or Hebrew teaching school in Glasgow at that time. So there was uh, others, myself and, and my Jewish friends, but at that point, it was very binary, black and white, polarized that sort of thing mm. yes gosh it sounds like it really really did have an effect on on you growing up so as you progress then into your teenage years how did your drinking start to affect your life by by 13 14 I was sampling here and there I, I knew from a very very young age I call it the black spot at the back of my brain I knew there was something very very clumsy uh, not quite right about my relationship with alcohol. I knew it wasn't quite right. but So when I drank, I generally uh, got drunk. That, that seemed to be the way that it was. I, I couldn't really work out uh, what was going on there. But I, when I got into um, secondary school, I ended up playing, playing rugby and, and swimming and running and things like that. And that, that was a game changer in terms of I, I had a focus for my, my energies. Uh, and I fell out with one of my best friends at age 15, and I chose to start working very hard to pass my exams. Uh, but it was a very kind of uh, bleak area. I there were times when you know family life was very, very good, but uh, but there was always an undercurrent of, of darkness. There. there was a shadow that seemed to follow me around, and uh, and that developed into perfectionism and, and, and all sorts of uh, different types of operating. Yeah, so I went to... Uh, when I went to college at 16, um, I got in with people there and we, uh, uh, <laughs> yes, we drank a lot when we could. And then I started working at 18. I remember the third day, day I was at work, we went out for drinks at lunchtime and, and it didn't stop until about 10 o'clock at night. And, but I took, I, I, I just loved, I loved the, the conviviality. I loved the, the, uh, the, the, the pub. I loved the, the kind of general acceptance people were giving me. They weren't asking me what I believed in things or anything to do with the religion and all the rest of it. So it, it was it was really a, a, a kind of bipolar experience. You know, we had this very sanitized, strict side here, and then this other one that which was you know 
kind of not anything goes, but it was a very, it was, it was, it was the antithesis of what I was brought up to. Um, then, but I, I knew that the, the, the dancing that was going on between both worlds, mm-hmm. uh, I was tripping up, it was getting clumsy, uh, it, it wasn't quite uh, happening the way I wanted it. That, that was one of the lines there, of, I'm a tow rag on the run, how did I get here, what have I done, you know, and, and the way that people were starting to look at me, what's going on, Colin? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll stop there, Colin, and just play another track if that's that's okay. Your next uh, song is "Hold the Line" by Toto. So, why why that track? Yeah, this track uh, I dedicate to my close friend and mentor George. He loves the same type of music, and uh, one of the lines of this song is "Love isn't always on time." So, what always happened to me that was uh, um, good and profound didn't come when I wanted it. <laughs> particularly but uh, so that's why I like this song and it's it's just yeah it's good to listen to great
Well, that was Hold the Line by Toto. Uh, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Room at Variad. So great track, Colin. Took me back a bit, that one. <laughs> Enjoyed that. <laughs> Thank you. I suppose the drinking was taking a little bit of a toll. Like you say, you were sort of all your friends were recognising you were slightly different within your drinking pattern, maybe. Did you feel at that that stage that alcohol was manageable then and that things were okay or had you started to notice that things weren't looking so good? Great question Julia. I think that it was my relationship with others and then it was my relationship with alcohol. I think then I noticed that I I wasn't as I said earlier I call it my my black spot but I knew there was something quite awkward or clumsy or dark or I I I would uh Yes, it was, it was forever changing. It wasn't destroying me, but I knew that I was. It wasn't allowing me to process things. So I would tend to. Uh, I liked the, the the movies where the the disaster would happen, that the the relationship would end, and I would be at the end of the bar sipping bourbon, you know, being a complete traitor to my Scottish heritage and, and drinking American drinks, you know. But it, it seemed to be this this you know, melancholic kind of drama thing going on. And I would have different types of friends. Uh, I've always been a, a, a kind of spiritual orientated person. So I, amidst all this stuff, you know, I had contact with some amazing human beings. But I, but I knew that in some respects that there was a, it was a ticking time bomb. And, and my, my studies then started to suffer. Uh, and I had a few spectacular uh, failures of exams you know, and I was, so this is me kind of going through 1920 into 21. And I had, you know, for the, for the two or three years prior to that, I'd been visiting a doctor to, uh, and a psychiatrist to assess my depression. So I knew my father had depression. So that was uh, the first time I was actually taking medication. I got a bit of one-to-one, but um I wasn't ready to talk uh, and I couldn't really get perspective on, on that. So that was my first exposure uh, to, to uh, somebody saying medically that you, you, know, you, you are depressed and, or, or, and I would say I am depressed. And the, that language itself is, is very um, confusing to, uh, to a 20, 21-year-old man who's still kind of locked in his childhood, you know, in many respects. So uh, it, my, I made a new set of friends with my work uh, and I, I ended up uh, down in Cornwall and uh, of all places and uh, I had this kind of very, very strange epiphany. I, I changed my life completely. I put down alcohol and uh, I got really into my studies and started playing rugby again and running and, and threw myself into my studies and, you know, I, I didn't drink. They called me the Iron Broom Orange Man or Iron Brew Man. And people were like, how, how did, where's he gone? Having had that period where you, you weren't drinking, did, did you go back to drinking? Yes, I did. I, I, I came back uh, when I was 25. I was not going through another period of change and, and the darkness started to come along again. I, uh, you know, went back to the doctor and uh, I, I remember it clearly. I picked up a, a bottle of wine. Didn't drink wine that much, but I thought maybe a bit a bit gentler on me. Um, and I would say for the three or four years prior to that, I was so preoccupied with other positive things and good things, but I still had a hankering deep down for, for something else. I, I wasn't that satisfied. You know, I was always hungry for more and I never seemed to be able to 
to sit down and, and just enjoy because of the anything with these kind of backgrounds you're always trying to be I suppose get codependent but dependent on people's approval and, and our peer group and all all these kind of things yeah and then we, we turn to our crutch don't we which is well with me and you was alcohol wasn't it you know yeah became my best friend mm. uh, was my best friend my lover it, it was mm. strange uh, you know we I used to talk and uh, and then my lover started to cheat on me and, and change the way I was treated it was that was awkward and horrible and, and fearful it yeah. was uh, yeah so so the, the cracks were, were appearing okay well we'll we'll stop there Colin and, and listen to a, a, another song now so this one you've chosen anthem by Leonard Cohen a, a beautiful piece of music please tell us why you chose this one well um I chose this because it gives me so much hope and it helps me to accept that you know what what I see perhaps as a real failure of mine uh, is is an opportunity for me to live my life differently and see things in a different context. Okay. I heard them say, "Don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be."
That's how the light gets in. So that was the amazing Leonard Cohen there and Anthem. Gosh, that was such a powerful piece of music, Colin. Very, very emotional there. Was there a crisis that actually brought you into recovery? Yes, there was. <laughs> there, it, it was, a, I suppose, with, with many things, we, in hindsight, we can see a progression, we can see a pattern, we can see things evolving. But, but over these, over the years, that followed, but when I must say that when I was uh, 24 uh, in 1988, an angel visited my life and my life changed dramatically. And I met Rosalind. It just turned my world upside down. And, and uh, you know, it, it was, we started seeing each other and it, it was just tremendous. And she was dealing with the death of her, her, uh, her grandmother and there were various things. And I, was able to support her at that time. And so it was, it was a very intense, spiritual, loving, fun, and rich, and she had, uh, introduced me to many wonderful things. Uh, but my drinking started to take off uh, again in, in a way that it hadn't before. Um, and when I hit the age of 30, I had been away from Roslyn for a number of years, and I was doing exceptionally well in every part of my, my life. I was drinking heavily, but I was able to I was coping with it. And I came back from the States after my grandfather died. And it was like I walked through a door. It was like the, the sliding doors and I walked into a different world. And for the next three years, I, I lost my driving license. I lost friends, other relationships, trouble with the police, uh, blackouts. My family were, were, were indifferent to me. Uh, but the, the daily drinking and the physical pain in my body, my, my kidney, my liver, and things like that, but really the grip of this agony of loneliness and feeling of, of uh, despair on a daily basis just really. Um... So I reached out to to through my brother, uh, and he uh, I asked him. He, he lives in Seattle, Washington, and we we have eight. I used to have eight hours. Uh, <laughs> six o'clock in the morning, a.m. was ten o'clock there, so I could get away with it when I was doing all nighters and things, but. But uh, I, my question to him was this, do you know anybody who used to drink that no longer drinks? And he said, yes. So he put me in touch with a, a, a wonderful man, Alan, who basically changed my life and introduced me to recovery. And he, another chap, Rory at the time, another guy, Fred, they just kind of got around me and just kept on saying to me, Colin, there is hope and you need never drink again. Uh, when I heard the hope bit, you know, my the little candle that was going out, because I knew that I, time was running out uh, physically and mentally, um, and my spirit was almost gone. So really a, a collage of all these things, and then, you know, the blackouts were terrible. People were concerned, and there was only two or three people left who would uh, spend time with me. 
because of uh, I was so unreliable and, and I told lies and, and I, it was really so yeah these things all kind of uh, bundled together pushed me forward into uh, I had nothing left to give. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, Colin, for that. That was uh, a really honest and incredibly powerful story to hear there. Thank you. So we'll, we'll play another track now. So you've chosen Requiem in D minor by Mozart, and it's Lacrimosa. Tell us why you've chosen this track. I chose this track because uh, it is the Latin for weeping or tears. And like uh, Robert De Niro in the film, the, the the, the mission he ended up in this uh, cell uh, with, with going to see this priest to confess what he had done in his life. And uh, my friend Rory had done this in a place called Nunro Abbey in, in Scotland. Uh, uh, and I went there uh, for quite a period of time to write my life story and to write about um, what had happened. Uh, so I eventually got uh, a one-to-one with him on a number of occasions and I came out from that and I cried and cried and cried for hours. It was, it was, it was tears of joy. And, and I believe that tears washed the windscreens of our souls. So that's why I chose this track. Wow. So that was Requiem in D minor, um, Lacrimosa by Mozart. That was beautiful, Colin. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So I have this vision now of like a new you arising from the ashes almost. So there you were on the brink of recovery. <laughs> like what happens next? 
what happens next? Well, the, 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 the first few years where um, I had a, a relationship that I'd been involved in for nearly six years and I had a business, it was a stained glass business I'd there for nearly 10 and it just couldn't seem to, I thought everything was going to be fine that I don't do this anymore and you know life's going to be peachy but these things weren't right for me they were such a part with me and then I asked for help you know that's where the power of the power of prayer the power of intention comes in within six weeks both were gone and and I had been relying heavily on what I thought was the best uh, for Colin so so then that I said I'd been to Nunro Abbey and that was me starting the recovery process in earnest I, I was really uh, not paying lip service, I just didn't know, nor was I ready. You know, denial protects us from the truth until we're ready to, to uh, develop. So, so I then got myself a, a mentor and I started to get into the 12-step recovery process. And, uh, you know, I just started to read and listen and attend all different types of meetings and seminars. And, and uh, I then started putting myself on doing retreats and workshops because I feel there's a like like our Buddhist brothers and sisters there it's a lovely thing to be able to move away from uh, where you are to to concentrate on yourself and basically when you're with with other people of of like mind you you it accelerates something uh, in you so so that was that and that's where uh, I met Carol Hardy mm-hmm. who is involved in the living room so that and then from that I met Winfred and Mera and so that, that then became a massive part of my life, you know, and running involved in it. And it was this, as Greg, our producer, was saying there, that music is very healing. Uh, and we, we, did, we did a lot of that. A lot. We, we paid attention to silence and we paid attention to music uh, to, to help people to unlock, you know, things that, that weren't mm. good. Mm. Yeah. And it's, all, it's also having to realize you have to surrender don't you first that's you know you have to get to that point of surrender before you can let anything else in isn't it you know I very much believe that uh a good my good friend Frank uh who's helped me enormously in my recovery he's an artist and uh, he 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 always says that surrender to win some surrender to win you know that's very much uh something I believe in Julie yeah Well, we'll we'll play another track now, Colin, and then we'll we'll talk some more about the recovery and and the projects that you took on through that. So um, so we'll go into that in more detail now. So your next track was um, "Suddenly I See," Katie Tunstall. I, I love love this track. So why this one? Uh, she's just fantastic. Her energy, the way that she writes her songs, that her public performances. I've seen her live a number of times, but it it tells me that you know. And if we're looking, we don't always see, you know, and we're listening, we don't always hear, you know. Uh, and I've had lots of suddenly I sees when I didn't know I didn't know. Happy. <laughs> sort of thing. Okay.
she's taller than most And she's looking at me I can see her eyes looking from the page of a magazine She makes me feel like I could be a tower Big star and So that was uh, Suddenly I See by Katie Tunstall. Great song. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the living room in Adveriad. And today we're talking to Colin. So what happens next, Colin? Like, you know, your, your journey's going now somewhere, you know. I mean, I have to thank you first because, you know, you facilitated the um, recovery coaching course at the living room, yeah. which opened up my life incredibly so you know I, I have a lot to thank you for for for, for doing that and um, but come on tell us what happened <laughs> what happened well I, I, it was a step in uh, in faith you know I'm a big believer in faith because it's like the, the star watching it's we, we 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 see the things that are not yet there the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I didn't believe much in myself. I took a risk uh, and people asked me to say things uh, and I started to say things. Uh, they, they, they kept on encouraging me that I could do things and I chose to believe in what they said uh, because I, wasn't, I was not able to do things in public, I was too shy, I was too introverted, I was too uh, cautious, I was scared. But I learned uh, how to do this. I, I had an ability to come alongside people because I, I knew that, you know, we're wounded healers, the wounded warriors. So I basically just threw myself into to learning and to pass this on in the best way possible. Like the early uh, AA people that I had studied and, and so on, love their approach to life and, and community and, and togetherness and so yes and that that really that really is it uh, you know I, I kind of imitated what other people did and people got well I got well and uh, I expanded my whole kind of world I got introduced to to Carol as I say she became a friend of mine and and uh, Winford and, and Mira uh, he was a, a Welshman who was an actor who, who didn't have rice with his curry he had chips with his curry and then we, we struck up a friendship and I, I, I then fell ill with ME, chronic fatigue. And I, I, I was back like drinking days on my own, isolated and very, very sick. And Winford was one of the, the uh, few people, I had six people in my life at that time who kept in touch. And uh, my, my depression came back and physically I couldn't work that much. So 
And then he, I started to get better, and he asked me to help out with the retreats in Wales. Yeah, we got that up and running, and it was a real success. People enjoyed it. People uh, came back, and uh, and I've replicated that process through the pandemic. We've done uh, two this year. Uh, people have come along, and uh, we've got we're not in the same kind of environment, which is very very different, but it, it works. Uh, and we're going to be doing more of these. So it's people learning about themselves, learning about what they're suffering from, learning new life skills, boosting their confidence, and, all, and that's what it does. You know, it puts the past into perspective. You know, we get a, a new North Star in our life, the Polaris, which is an amazing thing. So we're basically, fundamentally, is we find out where you're at and you find your, your North Star. The North Star never moves. So you need to find that. It doesn't change. So that's what I've done, and yes, it, it works. And I've sort of combined all different types of uh, resources, all different types of. Uh, it's not vanilla; it's, it's got a lot of flavours to it. This thing, mm. so uh, I, I think creativity and take, getting into all aspects. You know, a lot of writing, a lot of sketching, a lot of moving, uh, because uh, you know, recovery is is about moving and and uh, uh, getting stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, like the ripples of recovery, you know, so, so you, you facilitating and, and setting up that course at the living room, you know, the, the people that, that did the course now, most of us have gone on and we give service to other people and, you know, we, we're able to run groups and things like that for the living room. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, just amazing how it, how it gets passed along, isn't it? You know? Yeah, so totally. I believe I call them the seeds of recovery. You know, mm. um, life is about seeds and, and mm. they, they reproduce after their kind. One of my favorite uh, uh, metaphors is you could, you could, you take an orange, you can count the number of seeds within one orange, but you cannot count the number of oranges that come from one seed. They reproduce. Yeah. And when we get, and I think that's what the process is, when we get, we get the ability to look at our true potential, when we get the ability to look at our true potential, we are, you know, it, it just changes very quickly. So we're, we're, we're not just, and for me, I was so obsessed with my past and all these other things, but freedom from the past, but we also have to have freedom to, to do other things. You know, we can get so hooked up in our narrative and, and our story. That, that's, I'm talking about myself here, that I am not all these people, that's history, but that's what healing and inspiration does more in spirit, you know, when we look at things in a different way, the things that we look at, they change when we do that. So, yeah, I don't know, hopefully that kind of covers a bit of what I do. But I think when people get into a group, and that's what the pandemic has really fractured, is groups of people, whether you're, you know, you're in sport or your theatre or, or your church or chapel or whatever you do, your community groups. Uh, the pub, restaurants, bingo, all these things have been fractured, you know, so that human beings, uh, I, I know myself that alcoholism steals, it, it steals and makes you isolated and frightened and it doesn't add to you, it takes away. So I think the pandemic for many people is that it has taken so much and it's not over yet. Mm. It's not over. We're in very, very perilous times in terms of of what's happening and about to happen, but I believe there is there is true community and there is true uh, 
family and, and there's a true spirit of togetherness and we've seen that with our NHS and in the, the communities you know it's just terrific yeah 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 well it is this this feeling of we're not alone are we you know we 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 yes. can't do things on our own we we need to be together yeah yes. yeah that's yeah. really good yeah thanks Colin so we're on your penultimate track now a great song that you've chosen again so it's Stormzy Blinded by Your Grace and it's the part two one so why this track? Well I've, I found that the way he speaks and, and his his message really touches something very deeply in me and how we need to come against racism and judgmentalism and criticism and, and how you know these ways of living and attitudes don't add to our life but I know that for me uh, I've had favour and, and mercy and grace afforded me so I give thanks for that I'm blinded by your Lord I've been broken although I'm not worthy you fix me I'm blinded by your grace you came and saved me Lord I've been broken Although I'm not worthy, you fix me. Now I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. One time for the Lord, and one time for the cause. And one round of applause, one time for Fraser T. Smith on the courts. One. I stay prayed up, then I get the job done. Yeah, I'm Abigail's youth, but I'm God's son. But I'm up now, look at what God's done. No, I'm real tall, look at what God did. On the main stage, running around topless. I phone flips, then I tell him that we got this. This is God's plan, they can never stop this. Like, wait right there, could you stop my verse? You saved this kid and I'm not your first. It's not by blood and it's not by birth. But oh my God, what a God I serve.
that was Blinded by Your Grace by Stormzy. Um, you're li listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Rooms and Adveriad. So sadly, Colin, we're sort of nearly at the end, but you've taken us on an incredible journey of recovery and a real journey of inspiration and, and hope. That's been such, such a good thing to hear, you know? So, so just a couple of little final questions. What lessons has recovery taught you? What lessons has recovery taught you? Uh, there's, there's hope for all of us that you need never be enslaved by your behavior or your, your drug. That forgiveness is a decision uh, and that healing is a process. There can be no reconciliation without forgiveness. Uh, it's taught me to live one day at a time. If that's too difficult, it's, um, it's taught me to live an hour at a time. That it's okay for me to be who I am and what I do, think and say, but it's equally the same for everybody else. So I have to learn to be uh, forgiving and compassionate. I have to learn these things, uh, to see things through different prisms, uh, to uh, rely on a power greater than me to overcome the things that uh, were destroying me and that, that nothing is wasted. I would say that that's one of the things, and that's the, the great part of the Leonard Cohen song, it's the cracks that lets the light in. So I thought my alcoholism and my depression were things I wanted removed from my life. They're still there, but I've got the grace to uh, accept them uh, and, and live with them. And just finally, so what, what would Colin now say to little Colin? What Colin says to little Colin is, it's okay. It's going to be all right that the best days of your life are yet to come. That's what I would say to him. Well, thank you so much, Colin. It's, it's been an amazing interview. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I'm sure all our listeners have, have really taken lots away with them when they've heard this. So uh, thank you so much. It's a great message of, of hope there from you. you. And, uh, you. and you're, a great, you're a great guy. And th thank you for all you've done for me as well. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. So, um, yeah, so sadly, we, we've got one more track to play, but um, I'll just sort of say goodbye to everybody. So thank you all so much for coming and supporting the radio and listening to us. It means an awful lot to everybody at the living room. And, you know, the, the whole meaning of these programs is, is to reach out to people who, who are feeling on their own and to let them know that they're not on their own. And we are there and, uh, you know, we, we can get recovery together so um that, that's the message so mm. please please carry on listening please support us look on facebook put your messages follow us on twitter and all the other media things but yeah just so people know we're out there so thank you very much and uh, we need to thank Adveriad and the living room for allowing us to put these shows together so thank you so much for for that and uh, to Greg again for keeping us all on check with our timing and music and everything and all the hard work he puts in so mm. thank thank you all so so very much and uh, yeah it's goodbye from me and have a great day everybody thank you so much and the final track is oh this is a, a really good song to finish with thanks Colin it's at last by Etta James now why did you choose this one I, cho I chose this one because somebody said my, to my mother that Colin will not meet the, the love of his life and get married until the, the love of his life shows up 
So that love of my life is Roslyn. And uh, I've got two step children, Gemma and Luke, and the shout out is to all three of them. She has loved me, inspired me, and healed me, given me a new way of life. And this was the, the track that was played at our wedding for our first dance. And it's not our last dance. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ah! Uh -huh. 